if you brought your Bibles, and I hope that you have. Turn with me to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 13, we'll begin at the first verse. I'll give you a few moments to find Mark chapter 13. Let me talk to you for just a second here this morning as you're finding Mark chapter 13. I am... Um, I want to emphasize to you the importance of this message, and let me explain why. Um, I have, uh, well, let me go about it this way. I had something else completely ready to preach to you this morning. Uh, in case you don't know me well, just to explain to you the type of person I am, I'm the type of person that's got to be organized, got to have a plan, and got to be ready way ahead of time. And God knows that, and God usually deals with me that way. I usually know real early in the week, sometimes I know weeks beforehand, what it is that I'm going to preach. I've, uh, God has given me time to pray about it, plenty of time to study on it, and, and to make a few notes, and, and, and to preach it. I tell you, I'll preach a sermon to myself in my head. I don't know how many times before you, you ever hear it. And then, of course, then I, and then when I come and preach, I just try to let the Holy Ghost have his way. But that's just kind of how I work. Um, occasionally, very rarely, God will all of a sudden change my direction at the last minute. I say that because I want to emphasize to you the importance of how rare, uh, that, and that's just the way God deals with me, but how rare he does that. Um, I probably preach, depending on how many revivals I preach in a year, I probably preach hundred and anywhere from 120 to 150 times a year. Revivals, association meetings, things like that, plus preaching here and special services and things like that. I, I can't remember the last time God changed my direction the way he did on this one in the timing and the manner that he did. It's been at least, I mean, he has before, but it's been at least a couple years ago. And so anyway, so we're talking, we're, we're, we're at less than 1% of the time, right? We're, we're probably less than a half a percent of the time God moves and works in this way. Let me, let me just step this up one more step here because I want you to pay attention. I have only, I, I, first of all, I've been, I've been the pastor here and been preaching for coming up on 10 years in August. That's hard to believe. I can't, I, I keep talking about it because it feels like it's only been a year, not 10 years. So in that 10 years, that means I've preached here probably close to a thousand times. And that thousand times, this is only the second time that you'll hear me say this. I've only said this one other time to you. Listen, pay attention this morning. This may be the most important message or one of the two most important messages that I've ever preached before in my life. And definitely to you here this morning. Do, I don't know why. But I know and how I understand and how God has dealt with me about this. In Mark chapter 13, let's begin. Let's read the first four, let's read the first few verses, and then we'll go to the Lord together in a word of prayer. Mark chapter 13, verse 1 says, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones. And what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Seest thou these great things? There shall not be left one stone 
upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when, the, uh, when all these things shall be fulfilled? Let me add one more piece to this, and we'll go back and work through this chapter. Go on down to verse 19. A little over halfway through the chapter, verse 19. In those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he has shortened the days. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for our church family, each one that you put in our life. We thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness, their willingness to come out to serve you, to worship you. We thank you, Lord, this morning for the roof you put over our head, the blessings you poured out on us. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. We thank you, Lord, for uh, all, all the blessings you poured out on us. But we thank you most of all this morning for your son, Jesus. Lord, that you sent him and give him. Even though we rebelled against you, even though we despised you and hated you, God, you loved us anyways. And you loved us enough that you sent and gave your only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth on him, that anyone that would receive him would repent of their sins and turn to you, that they could be saved. Saved from the very things that was alluded to and talking about in the scriptures this morning. Saved from the wrath to come, saved from an eternity in hell. God, let us not take that lightly or for granted. God, that's the greatest gift that could ever be given. Let us not trample it under our feet, but let us instead lift you up and exalt you and praise you and glorify you and lift our voices up to you. Let us be a people of worship. Let us be a people of servants, Lord, that are ready to go out and serve you. Spread your good news, that gospel, to a lost and dying world. <clears throat> Help us, Lord, this morning to be the people you've called us to be. And we'll give you the glory for it, all of it. So, Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that you move in a mighty way amongst your people here. God, that you would stir our hearts. God, that you would knit us close together and draw us to you. God, my prayer this morning is, is that we would grow in love and we would grow in spirit and that we would grow in numbers. God, my prayer this morning is, is that we would, uh, uh, we would desire to deepen our relationship with you and to walk with you. God, that we would leave here with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, that we would have a burden for a lost and dying world. Lord, my prayer this morning is, is that you would move among us in a mighty way. But God, I pray also for any among us who might not know you. 
any who are lost, any who are undone, any that are separated from you. Lord, my prayer this morning is, is for any that are backslidden, any that have let any sin creep into their heart or their life. Uh, Lord, that, uh, that they know that doesn't belong there, right? That, that it doesn't belong there and that that's created separation between them and you. For any, Lord, that have uh, just never known you are not sure of where they stand with you. God, let today be the day that they make their election sure. Lord, let today be the day that they make their calling sure. Lord, let today be the day that they get things right with you. And they know for sure that when they leave here, that if you were to call them home, that they would be ready. And God, I'm asking that you'd pour out that old-time Holy Ghost conviction upon us. God, don't give us any peace until we would repent and get things right with you. Because that's the most important thing. So, Lord, have your way and your will in our midst, and we'll give you the glory for it. And, Lord, let me ask one more thing of you. I need your help this morning. I can't preach a lick without you, and I know that. So I'm asking that you clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very things you'd have me to say tonight or this morning, and I'll be sure and give you the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking for your your anointing, your holy unction. Lord, I'm asking for a moving of your spirit. God, I'm asking for you to do what only you can do. God, we love you. We worship you. We praise your holy name. The glory is all yours. I ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. I tell you what, I had read Mark chapter 13 recently. I had done some studying in the book of Mark. Last night rolls around and I thought I'm all set and done and ready. Got my notes ready, got my Bible ready, ready to come preach this morning. I get in the shower and God just burdens my heart like he doesn't do very often. And I could not, I couldn't think of anything else. I had to get out of the shower, make myself a few notes. I didn't even hardly sleep last night thinking about what God wanted me to say this morning. That's why I say listen. Now we look at Mark chapter 13. Uh, it's, you know, you might have a title in your, in your scriptures, the sign of the end times or the Olivet Discourse or whatever. Uh, understand the picture of what is happening here. Jesus and his disciples, right? The inner circle of his disciples are sitting on the Mount of Olives, right? Which is opposite over against uh, the temple. So they've got a good view of the temple. They're sitting there. He is teaching this, right? And they are looking at the temple. And it, but as they're sitting there before he starts teaching this, and, and, and you can see him sitting there on that top of that mountain or that hillside, side looking actually it would be down just a little bit at the temple and across the hall or over there at the temple a couple of the disciples speak up and they and they say when they say master right they're referring to Jesus they're calling him teacher there and anyways they're saying uh, you know look how wonderful and how beautiful those buildings are and, you know and they're marveling right the manner of stones the scripture says right uh, and they're just they're just marveling at the beauty of the temple and the temple complex there, right? It's it's uh, said by ancient historians that it might have been the most beautiful building in the world at that time. And so, anyways, uh, um, so they, so anyways, they are asking Jesus. You know, they are commenting on this, and Jesus uh, uh, speaks up to him. He says, "Seest thou these great buildings?" Right? He says, "You know these beautiful buildings you're looking at." He said, "He says there shall uh, not be one stone left upon another." Right? He's 
he's, he's prophesying the destruction of them, but so much more. He's talking about his second coming. He's talking about the end times. Now let me make one thing clear from the beginning. It says it later in this chapter. No man knows the day nor the hour of his coming. Right? No one knows the day or the hour. There has been fools, idiots, whatever you want to call morons. I guess I'm getting a little, I don't know. Jennifer will get on to me later, but that have tried to predict the exact day of his coming. There's even, there's even these fools today that will get on TV and they'll say, well, the Bible says no man knows the hour of the day, but we can figure out what week or what month or what year. No, you can't, you stupid fool. Many of them do it just to sell books. We'll get into a part later where it's talking about the moon being turned to blue, or being turned to blood, not blue, but being turned to blood. There's an idiot just a few years ago selling a book about the four blood moons. Don't, don't give them your money. Don't throw your money at them false prophets and false teachers. Don't be foolish. Peter and James... John and Andrew, two sets of brothers, they pull Jesus apart privately. And they ask him, when is this going to happen and what are the signs of it coming? Now a couple things that you need to understand is no man knows the day nor the hour. Jesus said he didn't even know. The angels do not know. Only God the Father knows. But, it, but he does talk about there being signs of his coming. And that's what this chapter is about, is the signs of his coming. Now, I've got to make one thing clear before we get into these signs. Our anticipation, our hopeful expectation, our awaiting uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, his second coming, is not based on signs but instead on his promise. He has promised that he is coming. And as a believer, that is what our hope and our anticipation is based on. It's not based on these scriptures here in Mark 13 that I'm going to go through here in a minute. It's based on scriptures more like John chapter 14 where it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, go, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. That's a promise that he's given us. Understand that the Lord is coming back for each and every one of us, whether uh, it's at his second coming or whether it's before that, right? <coughs> Excuse me. You don't know when your last moment, when your last hour will be. You don't know when he's going to call your name, right? So we look at this, and this chapter is about the signs of his second coming. There's five signs here. There's actually more than that that he's mentioned, but there's five categories of signs here. Every one of the signs can fit within one of these categories. The first one is deception, right? Uh, false prophets, false Christ, 
false teachers, false preachers. You get the idea. Look at verse 5. And Jesus answering them, right? They've asked, what are the signs, right? When is this going to happen? What are the signs? Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. He talks about this again later, verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21 says, And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets shall rise, and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the very elect. Even, it says even the elect. I added very. Let no man deceive you. Right? The first sign is deception. We've had false messiahs, false Christ, false prophets. That's been a problem that, that really has been going on since the time of Christ. I think about even in my own lifetime, right? We've had, we've had people like Jim Jones, for instance, right? Um, took them all down there to South America and they all drank the poison Kool-Aid. We've had ones like David Koresh and, and, and Waco, Texas and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? We've had those kinds of false Christs uh, that have come up. We've had false prophets. I watched a, a documentary here just a few weeks ago of course this guy was a branch of 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 the mormons which there's a there's a cult and a false religion to begin with but anyways uh he was he was an extreme group of that already extreme group and he was referred to as the prophet you know and the whole documentary was about all the wives he had and that kind of stuff but anyways the point that struck me is here is a false prophet here's one of them that he talked about right and and whatever he said was the word of God according to the group the the cultish group that was following him the people he had deceived that's the truth of it I guess I should speak so harshly about them because they were the ones that were deceived by this false prophet I talked to you and I guess it's been close to 10 years ago now because it's when I first come here but there was a false prophet that was sending somebody around here in our very town handing out uh, flyers literally went to every door I know here in Mountain Grove and in Kabul also I don't know where else they went but that was a false prophet that was out of South Africa had somebody deceived and was going around spreading their false message we see false teachers and preachers you know there is many today even in the church that will deny that the Bible is the Word of God it is the absolute infallible Word of God I mean perfect without error rule and guide to our life there are many false religions in the world I just talked a minute ago about the Mormons there's many, uh, of course, it doesn't just end there. You've got the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists. And, and I mean, we could just go on and on and on, right? All the pagans and heathens. There are many who even today claim to preach the word of God, but do not. You can turn on your TV and see these folks, right? I had somebody ask me about them one time, about one particular false uh, teacher that, or preacher that taught and preached on TV or whatever it is you want to call what he done. And I told them, I said, my problem is not in what he does say. My problem is in what he does not say. Right? He does not say the truth. Not all of it. Amos talked about there being a famine in the land. 
But the famine was not for food or drink, but it was for the Word of God. He experienced that in his own time, and we experience that today in our time as well. You know, used to, you had to turn on your TV or intentionally go to a computer and fire that thing out and get on the Internet, you know, and, in order to find uh, these false prophets and these false teachers and these false preachers. But now we have them even right here in our own communities. Then, of course, there are many cults, right, who are built around false prophets and end date time or end end of time date setting. Remember uh, what was his name? Harold Camping out in, in in California a few years ago, right? He'd set the end end date a couple different times. He was wrong every time. He's died and went to hell since then. Even where I live, in case you didn't know where I live, I'm next door to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know what they were built on? End date setting, right? They, they had said Jesus was coming back at such and such date. Didn't happen. They'd done it again. Didn't happen. Now they try to get everybody to forget about it, but there's a lot of that stuff that's been built around that kind of stuff. It's, it's really, it's not anything new. But the deception today is worse than it's ever been before. Isn't there greater access to these false prophets and teachers and preachers than at any time before? Can't you, in probably about... 15 seconds with that little device that's probably in your pocket, pull it out and get on YouTube or a website or somewhere and have one of these false teachers or prophets right there in your ear? The point of all of this, the point of these end time signs is that they will be in places and ways that we have never experienced before or don't usually experience or to a greater degree than we have, than has ever been before. Wouldn't you agree that this very thing it fits that? It's to a greater degree and a better access, more widespread than ever, ever in the history of mankind since the beginning of time. The second sign that is talked about here. We see it in verse 7 in the first part of verse 8. When ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war, be ye not troubled, for such things must be. But the end shall not be yet, for nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, he, this is alluded to in end time a lot. Now, he's telling us right here, don't get too troubled just because you hear about wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms rising against kingdoms because there's been fighting, nations have been fighting since the time there was nations. But I look at it today, right? Look at what is happening at Ukraine. Look at what, the, what is being threatened over Sweden and Finland and those kinds of things. And of course there's always fighting in the Middle East, but I would probably say you probably should, uh, should probably get more concerned when there is no fighting. You should be more alarmed when there's no fighting, when the fighting stops in the Middle East than when the fighting is taking place. But look at the rest of the world. Look at the genocides. Look at the things that we hear of coming out of places like China, North Korea. You know, I mean, all I could just go on and on and on. The third 
type of sign that is mentioned here. We see it in the rest of verse 8. He says, and there shall be earthquakes in diverse places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. If you go over to verse 24, he gets into this again. He says, but in those days after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in the heaven shall be shaken. He's talking about natural things here, right? So we've got, so what's the sign so far? Deception. Then the second one is, is military, right? Wars and that, that kind of stuff. The third one is, is, is natural, what we, would, what we call natural events, and, you know, for earthquakes and famines and such, right? Have you seen any shortages on the shelves lately? You might say, well, wait a minute, preacher. That's not what he's talking about here. That's COVID-19. Or that's because of Russia. Or that's because of the economy. Really? <laughs> Is that what you're going to chalk it up to? Is it a famine in a way and in a place that you've never dreamed of before? Of course, there's always been famines throughout the land. But the point of these, like I said just a minute ago, that he's talking about here, the point of these end-time signs is that they'll be in places and ways that we've never experienced before or don't usually experience or to a greater degree than has ever been experienced before. What about the earthquakes in Oklahoma or North Dakota? Does that seem normal to you? What about these tsunamis? I never even heard of a tsunami until a few years ago when that one great big one hit and killed all those people. What about the wildfires? Yeah, there's always been wildfires, but like there is now. Oh, wait, I forgot. I'm sorry. That's all because of climate change. Thought I had it for a minute. You know what? Theologically, biblically, I have a real problem saying that man has the power to do what only God has the power to do. Who's in control of the weather? If you don't believe me, you should turn to the scripture. If you don't believe it, at least get out your insurance policy and look at it. Because there's going to be a clause about acts of God. And they're all weathered. I have real trouble giving a man the power to do what only God can do or attributing it to man. I don't think man has the power to do it. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe some of, the, some of this stuff is the consequences of stupid things that we've done as a society. Maybe there's some effect. Maybe there's some consequences. I will say this. With all of our technology, we think we're the smartest that we've ever been. But the more I study the Word of God, the more I'm convinced we're the dumbest that we've ever been. And we do some of the dumbest things. And there's consequences to stupidity. Maybe. Maybe there's some effect there. But is it possible that that's what God meant and what God was talking about? 
I don't know, but here's what I do know. We can't save the earth. We're not going to. You, 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 can, you can have a, 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 what do they call it, a Messiah complex all you want, right? And you can, you, you can spend a fortune on green. You ain't going to make a dent. You ain't going to save the earth, and I ain't either. Right? We've got here in the scripture how it's going to happen and how things are going to come about. And it ain't you or I that do it. The fourth one, sign, right? So we've got, so, so we've got deception, right? We've got um, abnormal or extreme military activity. We have abnormal or extreme natural phenomenons and activities taking place. And then the fourth one he talks about, right? You could have probably went through with a checklist and been checking these off so far. Yep, that one's done. Yep, that one's done. Yep, that one's done. Now we're coming down to one that we see developing right now, martyrdom. Right? Look at verse 9. Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. Can I stop and give you a side note real quick? It doesn't have anything to do really with my sermon other than it's part of the text. When it says the gospel must be published among all nations, that sounds a whole lot like uh, Revelation 14.6 to me. Right? I've actually heard people silly enough to say, Jesus can't come back because there's still unreached people groups. I don't think that's what that verse is saying. Go over and study the, the seven beings in Revelation chapter 14. Uh, uh, maybe it's 13 and 14. The sixth being is actually three angels. Look at what they do. I think that's more of an answer to this. I mean, do you really think the church is going to actually fulfill the Great Commission? Uh, Israel did not do it. Do you think that we're, going, that we're better than they are? I'm not sure about that. Anyways, let's go on here. Verse 11. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak. Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Let me give you another side note about the last part of that. I usually quote that. In, it's also in, in Matthew 24, 13. It's where I usually quote it. But let me just take the opportunity to make my plug. That, uh, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. That doesn't sound much like once saved, always saved, does it? To me, that kind of knocks it in the head. I'll tell you something else that it really... Uh, throws a loop in is that doesn't sound much like you're going to be raptured out of here before all of this happens too, does it? I don't know, but it don't sound good. You plan on missing all this. I hope you're right. I'm afraid you might be wrong. Anyways, look at this. He's talking about brother against brother, parents against children, right? People turning people in, people being executed and killed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Uh, we have literally seen on our television sets uh, there, uh, uh, that in Muslim countries, Christians being beheaded because they refused 
to deny Christ because they refuse to, uh, whatever the right term is there, but to deny Him. But let's look a little closer to home. It's one thing when you see it on a television set halfway around the world, but what about when it's in your front yard? What about when it's in your community, your town, on your square? You ever seen a time of division like we have right now? Have you? Some of you are older than I am. I haven't ever. Have you? You might be sitting there saying it's political, and you're right, it is political. But whether you like it or not, we're drug into it, and we're on one side of it. Maybe it's the side that you want to be on, and maybe, again, it's not the side you want to be on. Don't make any difference. That's where it's at, and that's where you're at, whether you like it or not. We, as Christians, are demonized. It's not something that we had seen in the past, not in this nation. We're supposed to be a city set on a hill, right? That's been famously talked about a few different times throughout our history. Now, we're, we're supposed to be a light of Christianity to the rest of the world, but now we're demonized. It's hard to see a time... Let, let, me, let, let me say it this way. Let me ask it as a question. Is it hard for you to see a time when the other side is in power and popular opinion is with them, right? We're almost kind of there right now, right? But popular opinion is firmly with them. And they decide that we as Christians and as a church are a safety threat. That we, is it hard to see a time that we might be, uh, that we might be handled, that we might be... Um, not only rebuked, but we might be cast into prison and maybe even executed. You got any friends or family? Now let's concentrate on family. You got any family on the other side of the aisle who if they were convinced that you were a threat uh, to, to someone's safety and mental well-being to other people, right? Let's talk about uh, this uh, uh, alphabet people, this LGBTQT or the pro-life or whatever they call themselves, right? That you're a threat to their mental well-being because of what you say and what you preach. You're a threat to their safety, right? My goodness, they may go out and kill themselves because of what you said. Can you see a time you got some family that wouldn't, would not turn you in in a heartbeat? But we all sit there and shake our heads and say yes to that. We're already labeled as bigots, haters, right? We are already put down as part of what's wrong with society. How big of a step is it really under the right circumstances? Can I, can I pause here a second when I say under the right circumstances? You do realize that at some point Satan will use some nut to go do something stupid in the name of God. You realize that's how they go down, right? And then all of a sudden there's justification to do something about these bigots, these haters, this flaw in society. These, they're dumb because they believe in God, right? That's how they feel, right? They are, they, they are not as evolved as we are because they still need this, uh, this 
medieval God to believe in to make them feel better about themselves. That's what they think. How big of a step is it for them to take action against Christians? All who won't deny Christ and bow to the secular state. I mentioned a while ago, you do know that in, what, maybe a quarter or a third of the world, they'll behead Christians under the right circumstances already today? You do realize that what I am preaching to you today, and not just today, this ain't special in that sense, but every time, you do realize what I'm preaching to you is officially labeled hate speech by our government. Right? You realize that. I've been publishing my sermons for quite some time now. I've had several people ask, and we started making a podcast out of them, putting them out there. It wouldn't surprise me for them to, you know. So, martyrdom. That's the fourth sign. The fifth and last sign. Verse 14. And when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let him that, understand, let him that readeth understand. Then let them be in Judea flee to the mountains. The abomination of desolation, that's the fifth sign. Now, there's a lot of things mentioned in this chapter, but all of them fit in these five signs, these five categories of signs. I used to think that this abomination of desolation was the Dome of the Rock, uh, which is sitting there on the Temple Mount, right over where they used to think that the Holy of Holies was supposed to be. Now there's some, I think, question about that. But anyways, I used to think that was the abomination of desolation. Uh, Matthew talks about when you see it setting where it ought not. Many say and think that the Temple will, will be rebuilt in the last seven years, and that the Antichrist himself will walk into it, He'll, he'll, you know, he may desecrate, well, just by walking into it, he'll desecrate it. Uh, he may offer some sort of sacrifice or something, but the big thing is he'll declare himself to be God. That's similar to how uh, Antiquus Epiphanes did in 167 B.C., right? That led to the Maccabean Revolt, right? He walked in there, he, he, declared, he thought he was God already, he declared himself to be God. He, uh, he sacrificed a pig uh, to Zeus on the altar, right? They believed in multiple gods back then. Uh, this incident is the one that's prophesied and spoken of by Daniel the prophet some 600 years earlier. And then again, we see even after after this, we see in A.D. 70, right, when the Roman general uh, Titus, right, he, he had led the Roman army in, uh, and they had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, uh, and he placed an idol on the site there where the uh, that was the burned-out temple had been, there at the destruction of Jerusalem. Now here is, I got one little problem with all of this. Maybe that's exactly what it means and maybe that's what it'll be. But here's my problem. Even if the Jews rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, and I know they want to, I know they're trying, I know they're making plans, I know they're working on it. But even if they get it accomplished, the question we've got to ask ourselves, is that what God is talking about here? Would God consider, right, or maybe I should say it this way, would it be considered the temple of God by our Lord himself 
I'm really afraid what is being talked about here is something that is much worse than that. Right? I think it's something much worse than the profaning of some newly built building halfway around the world. If we look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Apostle Paul talks and prophesies about this in verse 3. He says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there should be a falling away first and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he as God setteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. That goes right along with what we're, what's in uh, Mark 13 and Matthew 24. But look at what the New Testament says about the temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, you ought to be able to remember that 3.16, right? 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Ye is plural. Y-E, that's the plural form of you. That's like saying you all. He's talking to the church and he's saying you all are the temple of God. If you, if you were to go forward a little bit to the 6th chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, he tells us there to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So what is, an abomina- what is the abomination of desolation? What is an abomination? It's something God hates, right? The word abomination literally means something God hates, right? It's something so wicked and so vile that it evokes an an extreme outpouring of God's wrath, something like the world has never seen before. An abomination is something that causes disgust, disgust, or hatred. And desolation, that's a state of... um, That's a state of complete emptiness or destruction. Jesus warned that something, or better yet, maybe we should say someone, that God absolutely detested would stand in the temple someday. What is that temple? That's the real question that you need to be answering. What is that temple? Can I put the question to you another way? If someone stood in a building halfway around the world declaring themselves to be God, would that evoke such a strong reaction out of God? There's people today, and it has been for a long time, all over that declare themselves to be God all the time. And we don't see quite this kind of reaction out of God. But if someone was actually in what the New Testament called the temple of God, right? The believer, the bride of Christ, his church. How do you think God would then deal with that? Look, 
when this chapter ends, I don't have time. I'm already way past my time. I can't believe how long I preached this morning. When we go on through the rest of this chapter, or if we were to go on through it, you would see that it ends with a parable telling us to watch and to pray. To not be caught off guard or sleeping. It says, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. The church cannot afford to settle in and assimilate to the world, right? Like so many teach today that we just need to be more like the world so we can attract the world. We must be constantly reminded, right? We've got to constantly, the church has got to constantly remind itself that great events, events are afoot. The terrifying times are just ahead, just around the corner. I'm telling you this morning, do not compromise. Do not compromise with the standards and the fashions of this present age. But instead, keep awake, watching, ready. Matter of fact, that's my question. That's how I'm going to end it. Are you ready? The signs are upon us. You probably could have went through there and checked a whole lot, if not all, off. It is upon us. So the question, church, right? He says this won't happen unless there be a falling away first. Man, look around you. It's not just us. Go to any church in town that preach the gospel, the word of God. So my question, hopefully you're convinced that it is on us. My question to you this morning is the most important question you need to ask yourself. Are you ready? Are you ready? Will you stand to your feet? I want to open the altar and I want to give you an opportunity to come this morning. Maybe you need to come and pray and seek the Lord yourself. Maybe you realize you're not ready. Not where you ought to be. Not where you need to be. Not where you used to be. I want to invite you to come. Don't be embarrassed. Don't worry what others think. It don't matter what they think. And then again, maybe you're sitting there and you're, you're ready, but your mind is going to all those who are not ready. Those you care about, those around you, your loved ones, your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your parents. I don't know. I'm going to invite you to come seek the Lord this morning. Whatever the need, whatever the burden, Don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning? Would you come?